The following presentation is part of the six-week Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation class offered at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. It's nice to see so many people here tonight. It may seem amazing to you that people would be interested in Buddhist mindfulness practice, but what's actually more amazing is all life long we have this heart or mind. Clearly, the mind or the heart or whatever you want to call it, clearly it's relevant to our life and how our life goes. What's really amazing is how we've avoided a systematic study of the mind or heart. I mean, we might... Some of you might be psychology majors, but that's different. Studying the mind objectively, you know, the mind out there, other people's minds out there, is different than studying the subjective experience of having a mind or having a heart, how it works, how it all gets gets gummed up or weighed down, how it becomes clear, loving, skillful. It's just so relevant and amazing that we haven't taken the time to study it. And that's really what meditation is all about. It's a systematic, skillful study of the heart or the mind. We're not thinking about the heart or mind, although that you know can be useful from time to time to read or hear me or, you know, We're going to be listening and you're going to be digesting what you hear or read. But what really is transformative is to use the mind itself, the knowing mind itself, normally being drawn out into the world, what I hear, what I think, what I see, what I touch, to use the mind that knows to know the experience of the mind itself or the experience of the heart itself. This is the education we'll be taking, undertaking for these six weeks. And as you might imagine, six weeks is no time. It's just enough time to get a sense of the value of this investigation. So it's just, you really give yourself to these six weeks. And as best you can, do a little practice every day or a lot of practice every day. Then by the end of the six weeks, you might have a sense, oh, This, I was born to do this. This is what's actually relevant in my life. Relevant in terms of becoming happier, less stressed, a better partner, a better parent, a better citizen, a better human being. How can we be a good person if we don't really understand the nature of our mind or heart? What makes it tick? What is it that leads our mind in the direction of aversion and fear and defensiveness and jealousy and greed and hatred? What is it that can lead the mind into states of patience and joy and kindness and forgiveness and clarity? This we should know, but we don't because in our culture and just generally in the world, 
it's not emphasized, this studying the mind. So let's begin with just a short practice, maybe 10 minutes. You don't need to sit in any particular way, just sitting in a way that supports comfort and equality, this kind of a sense of clarity, the sense of sitting right in the middle of your experience. You can have your eyes open or closed, either way is okay. And simply noticing the first thing you're aware of sitting here like this. In other words, what's the mind knowing? What is the mind doing, knowing? And even if you're feeling self-conscious, then that's what the mind is knowing now. Can the mind just leave it alone? Whatever the mind is knowing, is doing, can it just leave it alone? See if you can direct your attention now to the sensations in the face. Simple, like just feeling the air touching the skin of the face. Is that air cool or warm? Is the breeze hitting a particular part of the face or all of the face? Notice any tension around the eyes, any movement in the eyes. Notice any tension in the jaw, in the mouth, the tongue and the lips. And feel the air moving in and out of the nostrils or in and out of the mouth the actual touching of the air as it goes in and goes out. And feeling the whole head, sides of the head, back of the head, top of the head. So in a very simple way, rediscovering that the mind The knowing mind can be aware of the sensations in the face and head and just leaving this experience alone, letting it be. Aware but not controlling, not fixing. And do the same with the throat and the neck and the tops of the shoulders all the way down to the shoulder joints. So we'll take a few seconds. In a sense, we're letting the awareness soak into the neck and tops of the shoulders and shoulder joints, sides of the neck. So we're learning how to be present but also to leave experience alone. Feeling both arms. So feel the clothes touching the skin of the arms 
that simple contact. Feel the relative warmth under the arms, the bend of the elbows, Noticing any sensations in the hands, sensations along the back of the hands, and then the sensations in the palms, the fingers, places of tension and places of relaxation. Feeling both arms and both hands just as they are. And taking some time opening to the entire trunk. So you can begin at the base of the throat and the back of the neck and then working down through the torso. Feel the upper chest and upper back. Remember, we're not looking for any particular experience, but instead receiving what's here and now. So feeling the upper third of the torso, the trunk, both the back side and the front side. Feel the structure of the rib cage. And maybe even some movement as the breath goes in and out in the rib cage. The beating of the heart. Any tension around the diaphragm. Shoulder blades. And then feeling the lower ribs, the kidneys, the lower ribs in front, sides of the ribs, down into the abdomen and into the lower back. Again, we're just feeling the trunk of the body as it is. And we don't need the experience to be different than what it is. Whatever the mind is aware of is fine. Feel the internal organs and the muscles in the abdomen and lower back, the back of the hips. All the way down to the groin, all the way down to the lower spine, the tailbone, the buttocks, floor of the pelvis. And feel, if you can, the structure of the pelvis. And then feel the whole trunk, front and back and sides, just as it is now. And then from the hips and the hip sockets, begin to feel both thighs. Notice any points or places of contact or pressure, even where the clothes are clearly touching the skin, the bend of the knees, and the calves and shins.
down into the ankles, the heels, and noticing the different sensations along both sides of the feet, tops of the feet, bottoms of the feet, and the toes. And take a couple moments feeling both legs and both feet. And again, see if you can leave the experience of the legs alone. So aware of the sensations, but not trying to manipulate or control or fix. Letting the legs be. And the whole body, like a great ocean, this great diversity of sensation now in the body, pleasant sensations and unpleasant, and of course, many, many neutral sensations that are coming and going. Noticing now how alive the body is with sensation. And can this be okay to just allow these different sensations to come and go? In other words, to be aware of the body and to relax at the same time. Notice how the mind is doing. Is there calmness or restlessness? So no need to judge the mood or the attitude or the qualities of the mind, but just notice. If there's any fear or maybe the opposite, a sense of safety, comfort. Is the mind bored or interested? Recognizing that the body, the sensations of the body are like this now. And the mind, the heart, it's like this now. The mood, the qualities of mind. But even if the mind seems very neutral, then notice that. for the last minute or two, being aware of the body and mind or being aware of the way it is now, the present moment, can the heart, can the mind just leave it alone? Being aware without interfering, just allowing things to unfold, allowing things to be.
And notice, if you can, the sense of intimacy, being mindfully aware of the way it is, or what's in the way. What's in the way of the mind being clearly aware. Your eyes have been closed. You can open them and adjust your body if you need to to release any tension that you might have collected sitting still for a while. Please let me know if you can hear me at any point tonight. So we are a group of human beings. Human beings means we have a mind and a body. And part of this experience of having a mind and a body, if you're here, part of this experience is being somebody with a mind and a body who's interested in being more awake or more aware of what it is to have a mind and body. What is the experience of having a mind and body? So this particular approach to that answering or addressing that question, like what is this, comes out of the teachings of the Buddha. So this is a Buddhist meditation center. This particular lineage of Buddhism called Theravada Buddhism comes out of places like Thailand and Burma and Cambodia and Laos and Sri Lanka. And it's sometimes considered classical Buddhism in the sense that it it's really um, focuses on the teachings of the historic Buddha. Some of the other traditions of Buddhism have had developments since the time of the Buddha, some very beautiful developments. But uh, this tradition is, in a sense, more conservative in that it really pays attention to what the Buddha said. And of course, what teachers since that time who have used the teachings of the Buddha how they've interpreted those teachings. And the Buddha was very pragmatic. He was somebody who understood his mind and had the personality that allowed him to articulate what he came to understand from paying attention to his own mind and his own heart. And now, even 2,500 years later, that particular articulation still makes sense. And this is the thing you know, culturally, we can be quite different based on our upbringings and so many other factors. But if we're paying attention to the mind, to the experience of the mind and body in a more subtle way, that what we end up seeing actually is underneath the level of cultural conditioning. It doesn't mean that we're not seeing cultural conditioning, but the greed in my mind may on the surface look different than the greed in your mind, like what you're greedy for and what I'm greedy for or what I'm afraid of versus what you're afraid of. But the fear or the desire or the sense of lack in my heart and the sense of lack in your heart, that's pretty similar, that understanding, seeing things on this more elemental level. So even though you know my practice comes out of the teachings of the Buddha, 
This practice has nothing to do with any ism. It's just human common sense. We have a mind and body. It makes sense that we'd want to use whatever intelligence, whatever capacity we have to pay attention to get a sense of what it is to have a mind and body so that I can be more skillful living my life. And that's really what the program is about with this path. Sometimes we call call it a path of awakening. We're waking up. We're using the basic qualities of mind to be reflective, to be attentive in this balanced way. The mind is clear, alert, interested, and the mind is relaxed and trusting. Those two qualities are what I generally emphasize in the intro class. To learn how, in a number of different ways, how to increase the alertness or brightness or interest or quality investigation in the mind. That's the one half of the equation. And to learn how to develop and strengthen the quality of calm and ease and peace. And they really work together. When these two qualities are strong and in balance, then we say the mind is going to see things as they actually are. Instead of seeing things from a distorted perspective or seeing things that we expect to see. Because my mind is conditioned to believe that things are this way. So then we see it that way. Not that it is that way, but we see it that way because we expect to see it that way. Or it seemed to be that way in the past, so we expect it to be this way now. I always think of myself as being dumb. So in this situation, I'll see myself that way. Or I always see myself as being better than others. So in this situation, I'll see it that way again. So we want to get, we want to break free of the conditioned habits of the mind. And there's really only one way to break free of the conditioned habits of the mind. I mean, if there was just some eject button where we could eject all of the conditioned habits of the mind or heart, we would do that. But we can't. But what we can do is we can be mindfully aware of how the mind is conditioned, how the mind is affected by habit energy. We can become aware of that, and there's a lot of freedom in that awareness. But to be aware of these more subtle things like the habit energy, the mind needs to be both alert, clearly aware, bright, interested, and it has to be relaxed without an agenda. And that's the tricky part of the practice. It's actually not complicated. Mindful awareness is not a difficult concept. What's difficult is it's not our habit. And this is the fundamental approach the Buddha took to the basic problem of of human existence, which he would define as something like not being aware of the way things are. And because we're not aware, we make choices based on our misperceptions or our misunderstandings of the way it is. And because we're acting based on misperception, life doesn't always work very well for us. Our relationships don't work well. The world at large doesn't work well. We end up with societies that are consumer-oriented or consumption-oriented instead of happiness-oriented. We think 
happiness comes from consumption instead of actually paying attention to what leads to happiness. Or, you know, we might have the idea that uh, living forever, living long, makes us happy. So we don't care about how we're doing. We just want to, we just don't want to die. But that doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. It leads to maybe, if you're lucky, living longer, if that's what you want. But not necessarily happiness. So here, we're putting the experience of stress and the absence of stress, you know, unhappiness and happiness, front and center. We're not assuming we actually know what leads to happiness. But we're going to learn to track it. Have you ever noticed that when you're unhappy, how do you know you're unhappy? Or when you're happy, how do you know you're happy? Like right now, everybody in this room, we're somewhere along that spectrum, right? As happy as possible, whatever that would be, or as unhappy as possible, or somewhere in between, right? So do you know where you are? And if you do have a sense of where you are, how do you know that? Now, this sort of question, which doesn't this seem like a relevant question for a human being to be able to answer? And if you're at all stumped by this, it should bring up a sense of humility. Oh my God, the most important thing I don't know a lot about. Like, I'm so much in the sense of I know what will make me happy. If I just, if I had a, you know, a half a million dollars in the bank for my retirement and a nice place on the south shore of Lake Superior, you know, and if I were in better shape and a few other things, then I'd be happy. But because I don't have those things, I'm not so happy yet. Right? That's sort of the level of sophistication. We have this idea, this sort of internal checklist. If I had checked all these things, then I'd be happy. And we just, Pretend that we were because I've got everything checked. And then if we don't have everything checked, we just assume we're unhappy because I don't have everything checked. As opposed to, well, how would I know if I'm happy? How do I know? Like in those moments when we're pretty clear that we're unhappy, how is it that we know? There is an experience of unhappiness, right? There is a psychic weight or a clenching, clenched heart or a heavy heart. And there's the opposite of that, a lightness, a buoyancy, a freedom, like the heart, the absence of weight. So one of the reasons that we're interested in cultivating mindfulness in this very deliberate, uh, skillful way, like in it for the long haul, to really be able to be aware of the, the way it is, is so that we can be aware of this very particular thing. How's the heart doing? Is the heart happy, free of the weight of being a greedy person, or free of the weight of being an angry person, or free of the weight of being someone in denial? You can't actually show up because I'm afraid to show up, afraid to be sensitive or present. Or aware of how the heart is when it's not burdened by those things. You see how relevant that would be? Because how do I know whether my actions are skillful or unskillful if I don't even know 
how to pay attention to happiness and the opposite, unhappiness, or stress and no stress. Now, I'm not saying we don't know anything about this. I think probably we all do know something about this. So mindfulness is taking what we already sort of know, basic human common sense, and we're making a real science and art of it. We're systematizing how to be aware of when the mind or heart is unhappy, how to see that, and how to see that with some continuity so we see that the way that I'm relating to this moment, what I'm thinking, how I'm thinking, the view, the understanding that I'm living out of, is that contributing to the experience of stress right now? Or is it contributing to the experience of the release of that stress? Because that's actually what's relevant. I can't control all the things around me, but I can absolutely do something about how I'm relating to the present moment. But how would I do something about that if I don't know what actually supports the release of suffering or supports the arising of peace or calm or steadiness or clarity or all the qualities that were pretty clear already that are good, like being kind. Being kind is a pleasant state of mind, state of heart. Being unkind is not pleasant. Yet, whenever we're unkind, being mean, being impatient, like in traffic, for example, it always feels appropriate. Even though it's suffering, it's a suffering state, it's a stressful state, we always feel justified in being Impatient when we're impatient or being jealous when we're jealous or craving something when we're craving something. It always seems rational because we don't know how to pay attention to stress and the release of stress. So I'm saying this now, giving you a little background because you go home and tomorrow you'll tell somebody, yeah, I'm taking this mindfulness meditation class and they'll go, "Mm, aren't you already mindful? Or why would you want to do that? And you don't necessarily need to answer that person, but you'd want to answer that question for yourself. Right? You might want to give that person a relatively simplistic answer. Well, just want to get to know the mind a little bit more or just want to learn a few things about being more calm in life. You don't need to explain all the details unless you really get a sense that somebody wants to know. But you should know the basic dynamic that so much of life happens outside of our control, our health. Some of that is arises because of choices we make. Some of it's just the world we live in or the genetics that we received at birth. And that's true for so many of those causes and conditions or circumstances in our lives. They just show up. You didn't, did you choose to be born when you were born in this particular time and place with these particular parents? No. But this is what we got, this life, these circumstances. And instead of just being fatalistic about it, you know, this approach to human existence is very optimistic because it comes from this point of view that it really matters how we understand what's showing up in our life. It makes a big difference. To feel the victim all life long That's a choice that the mind has fallen into. And there are real implications to taking that point of view all the way through life. 
to feel like you're the master of the universe and you can make things happen has real implications for how your life is going to unfold. Sometimes your life circumstance will confirm that you are in fact the master of the universe and things do bend to your will. And then all the times when that doesn't play out that way, you have to lie to yourself or blame somebody or eventually feel betrayed by being so wrong. Right? So with this approach, not approaching the present moment with an idea, but approaching the present moment with this process of being awake or paying attention in this balanced way. So we're actually learning how things unfold and how the way I'm relating the attitude, the qualities of mind I bring to what's ever happening in the moment, that has a lot to do with happiness and unhappiness. And that, there's a lot of room to play there. There's a lot of room for transformation there. We don't always have to relate. Like, I could take it very personally. Like every time you fidget, I could take every fidget, every movement, or if somebody has to go use the toilet and they get up and leave, I could take that very personally and I could suffer a lot by that, right? Or if somebody looks at you, you know, they look at you, you could take that glance very personally. Like, you know, this person thinks I'm attractive or this person thinks I'm an idiot, depending on our habit energy. Or we could see that the person is looking at us we could be mindfully aware of whatever that triggers in us, some feeling of not being good enough or some feeling of thinking we're the, you know, God's gift to humankind. So we could see that all with that balanced, clear, relaxed attention. And it's liberating. It liberates us from falling into those habit energies and spinning of being the worst or being the best or Hey, let's get married. Finally met the person. So much easier to fall in love when we don't know anything about the person except, you know, one glance or two glances. And this is, it's surprisingly stressful, all of this sort of acting out of habit energy. So there's no way to eject the habit energy, but there is a way to start to see it with mindful awareness and to know it's just that. It's just habit energy. Oh, that's what it is. There's a lot of freedom in that. So, to start out, we have to develop the instrument that can have this kind of insight. So, even though we don't have a very good instrument yet, still we want to start paying attention to how like, the different attitudes, the different moods, the different qualities of mind that show up as different things happen in our life. But mostly the training we're going to do is we're going to strengthen this particular mental muscle, let's say. Like physically, you start training your body, you're going to get results. You don't do the training, you're not going to get the results. And it's the same with working with the mind. If we train the mind will get results. It's very lawful in that way. So we're training 
this particular part of the mind that we call attention, paying attention, being awake, being mindfully aware, we're training this particular muscle or these particular muscles. It's more than one particular quality. There are these qualities that work together, that when they're working together in just the right way, this quality we call attention, mental attention, gets really steady and really relaxed and really interested. And it, and it sounds paradoxical that you can have a mind or attention that on the one hand is relaxed or easeful and on the other hand is really alert and attentive, not forgetting. But actually, they work well together. Now clearly, we can be very vigilant but not relaxed, you know, restless, hypervigilant. And generally, we're hard to be around when we're that way. And generally, we start acting out greed and aversion with that hypervigilant, alert, bright mind. I fixed all my problems, let me fix yours. (laughs) Let me tell you what you should be doing. Things like that. Or we start creating problems that aren't actually problems. You know, we've got Wednesday, I'll figure it out. How about Thursday? How about Friday? How about later when I've retired? Where should I live? What kind of house should I have? I mean, it's amazing what we like to solve when we have too much energy or too much caffeine. So clearly you can have... It's not so much that there's too much energy if there's just not enough tranquility to balance it. And if we have too much tranquility, too much ease, too much calm and not any interest, any brightness, any alertness, we're going to go right to sleep. Or we're going to slip into some kind of soft, gooey, trance-like state, dream-like state. This happens a lot for meditators, especially people who've been meditating long enough to learn how to calm your mind down. It's like one of the talents we want to get good at. But they haven't figured out how to stay interested in the present moment. So they get really good, and then you see the sort of, Nodding. And even in a group of very experienced meditators, you look around, it's okay to do this every once in a long while. You know, you look around, especially in a group like this of, you know, about a hundred people, and you'll see, even in a group of experienced people, a lot of meditators caught. They have a lot of tranquility, but there's no energy to support that tranquility. So the tranquility causes the mind to collapse into some dull or unconscious state of mind. Literally, sleep. You people sometimes will fall straight forward. It's true. Generally, the free fall as you're going is interesting enough that the mind wakes up somewhere around here. (laughs) It's like, oh, wait. (laughs) Not sure I want to hit my forehead. You laugh, but it will happen. So then, instead of cursing the tranquility, tranquility is good, but it needs to be balanced with alertness. So in the beginning... Just to keep things simple, remember that the in order to have insight, in order to become a more skillful, wise, and loving human being, you need to pay attention in a continuous way, more in a continuous way than you're already doing. So to do that, you need a particular kind of mental muscle, which we call mindful awareness, or it's okay just to call it awareness. But when we say awareness or mindful awareness, we mean, we mean a mind that is both bright, interested, alert, and relaxed. 
Do you need a chair? Or do you want a cushion? Or do you want to stand? <laughs> yeah. So that's, and that makes it easy. So when you're, you know, sitting at home, like we're all going to sit every day, right? Even if it's just for a few minutes, everybody has a few minutes. If you can sit for half an hour or 40 minutes, that's fantastic. Hour, even better. But 10 minutes, 20 minutes is great if that's all you can do. But sit every day or sit twice every day so you ha- you can get some practice in. Because we only have these six weeks that we're committing to. So we need to know enough after six weeks that we have some confidence that this thing we call mindfulness meditation is going to get high enough on the priority list that you do it. Like you brush your teeth or you wash your face or you feed your body every day. You don't forget to feed yourself. Well, maybe we shouldn't forget to do the mindfulness practice. And we're going to be training in these two qualities mostly. How to support more alertness in the mind. How to support more tranquility in the mind. So, well, and I'll be talking about like, well, what can I do? How can I aim the mind or apply the mind to the task of being more tranquil or the task of being more alert, more interested, more bright? And we need to start with enough confidence. Maybe some of you who haven't really played around with your mind much, the confidence is just going to be based on hearing me or having read something. That this mind can be trained. And I don't care if you're the most restless, the most dull person in the entire universe. Everybody can move along that spectrum with alertness and tranquility. Everybody can get better at it. So it doesn't really matter if you're already quite good at it or if you're already really bad at it. The question is, are you learning how to be more alert? And that generally means more continuous with your interest. Because it's pretty easy for anybody to be alert in a moment. But can you sustain it? You know, if I do this, you know, and because you saw me, most of you saw me, you were like, what's he doing? <laughs> it's a little weird. But can we sustain that alertness? You know, if you walked outside on your way to your bike or your car and there's a cougar, you're going to, like, the quality of alertness will be there naturally. There will be no personal effort, that sense of awe or wonder, or you see an amazing shooting star or something like that. But how can we sustain that level of interest, especially when one of the strongest habit energies, you know what are one of the most strong, deeply entrenched habit energies is, I already know what's going on. Like, we are so clear. You go home, you see the person you live with, and like, before you even show up with that person, you don't see this because it's so, the habit is so pervasive, it doesn't even stand out. Is a very strong sense, I already know this person. Why would I pay attention? Why would I actually show up in that, you know, like when we really show up with something new, we're not meeting the experience with the idea of what's happening. It's so new, we don't lead with an idea of what this is, who this person is. The mind is, has a sense of humility. 
and a sense what we call in this tradition like being open. A mind that is open means it's a mind not so much under the influence of its beliefs or ideas or concepts, but just in a more, a place you could call it bare attention or open attention. Now how to sustain that degree of interest, that degree of alertness or brightness through the day? That's a challenge, but that's what we're undertaking. And the same thing with calm. It's not an, it's not a fake calm or tranquility. It's a calm that comes from realizing that this heart, this mind is safe. That's what makes us feel calm. When we're feeling like a hunted animal or a judged human being, right? We don't feel calm. We feel like we have to prove ourselves or impress somebody. But when we really feel safe, we're willing to let life present itself. Because I don't need to get something to feel safe, so I'm more relaxed. Right? When I've had a nice meal, and I'm sitting in the safety of my home, and the doors are locked, and I'm with friends that I trust, that love me, well then, it's relatively easy to be calm. But if I'm with a group of strangers in a place I don't know well, in a situation that I don't know the rules, then I don't feel so safe. And it's not so easy to be calm. Now, what we learn in this practice is there is actually within our mind and heart, and I I don't mean in any sort of magical way, or even in traditional religion, religious ways, I'm not talking about uh, a, an experience that's unique to some individuals, but that's available for all. There is a wellspring of a good feeling, a goodness, right here in the mind and heart, but we're just too distracted, too superficial, too busy worrying and planning and wondering and comparing and judging and to notice it. So one of the advantages of systematic meditation practice is little by little, and sometimes in big gulps or big drops, we're going to touch that place of peace or inner goodness or inner calm. And it's there not because you did anything, but because you stopped doing something for a while. You stopped worrying. You stopped looking at things that agitate your mind. And there it was. You can call it inner happiness or inner peace or inner bliss, inner calm. But this is the natural, ordinary state of the mind when it's not being disturbed by what the mind is paying attention to and the attitude the mind is paying attention with. When the mind isn't bringing up like an attitude of taking things personally and looking at things it really wants or looking at things that it's really afraid of, both of which agitate the mind, but instead is looking at something neutral like the breath coming in and the breath going out, right? So that's a relatively, for most people, a neutral experience. And when I gather this part of the mind I'm calling the attention, and so the attention is attending to the experience of breathing in. Something simple like just feeling the touching at the nostrils. Breathing in is like this. Breathing in is like Breathing out is like this. 
So I'm doing that, and now I'm doing it with some consistency. And I'm not doing it with any extra effort, just the effort needed to remember that breathing in is like this, and breathing out is like this, with a lot of continuity, no gaps. Well, then how is my mind going to worry and think about my to-do list, or think about this great mistake I made, or think about what I really want to become when I grow up, or this or that? It's full of just this simple activity. And then, when there's enough continuity, the mind starts to feel good. Not because something special is happening, but rather because something not helpful isn't happening. Worry isn't happening. Planning isn't happening. Comparing isn't happening. Like I said, when the, when you are able to touch this place, of this ordinary, natural place of peace regularly, then you'll know how to access calm and tranquility. And it will carry over into your daily life. Because even when you're in a really crazy place and all hell is broken loose, you'll remember that this place of calm still exists. I may not be able to access it with any stability right now because I'm attached or I've been drawn in to the dramas swirling around me, but I haven't forgotten that it exists. So even in those really intense and disturbing times, the training still has an effect because the mind remembers that that calm is available. It hasn't forgotten it. There's some chairs over here if you want a chair. They'll let you through. Yeah, there's one over here. There's some cushions up here too. So this makes it easy, just two things to remember. The energizing or the bright, alert quality that we're developing, which mostly has to do with appreciating the relevance of the present moment. I don't know much about life, but I know that it's only here and now. The past doesn't exist, right? Everyone get, there is no past. We can have a thought now in the present moment that we call the past, but that's a thought now. There is no past and there is no future. There's only this. If I think about the future, that's a thought now. So we just have this. I'm saying this because it helps with the alertness. This is all we have. If we don't learn how to show up with real interest to this, we end up missing our life and the Buddha says it's as if we are already dead. Right? So there is a way to trigger or to generate actual interest in the present moment. But you have to realize that this is all we have. And if what we're doing right now is practicing distraction, then later when the moment is the way we want it, we'll be really good at being distracted. We'll miss it. Think about how many times we were you know, on vacation or doing what we really wanted to do, but most of the time we were distracted. We weren't really there when we were doing it. It's like waiting all day for that bowl of ice cream, and then you go home, and you got the magazine and the radio on, and you're completely oblivious to the creaminess or the sweetness or the coolness or the crunch of the nut and the ice cream. You're just not there in the pleasantness of the experience. It's really insane. So the alertness comes from appreciating and respecting 
the relevance of the present moment. And the tranquility comes from understanding the uh, wellspring of peace in the heart, the inner safety of that peace in the heart. Now, it's totally appropriate for you not to know what I'm talking about, some of you. But hopefully you're inspired enough to cultivate this continuity of attention with things like the breath, and we're going to do this in just a few minutes, or hearing. There are many neutral objects of experience that you can use to gather the attention so that there's no space in the mind to worry or plan or think about the past or think about the future. You can do this knitting. You can do this walking from your car to your office. You can do this washing your dishes. You can do this breathing in and breathing out. Any ordinary experience will work as a way to gather the attention. We're unifying the mind in the present moment so fully that the mind can't do what it normally does, which is things that agitate it. (laughs) Worry, planning, comparing, judging, wondering, thinking about the past and future. These things are agitating in the sense that they always lead to more thought, mental proliferation. So when you have a thought that makes it very likely you're going to want to have another thought, generally those thoughts aren't useful. When you have a thought that leads the mind back to the present moment, those thoughts are very useful. So thinking itself is neither good nor bad. What matters is what does that thought lead to? Does it lead to alertness and calm? Or does it lead to agitation? The absence of those two things. So any questions about what I've said so far? I'm going to stretch our legs in just a moment. Anything come up to mind? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I use it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> the heart and mind, chitta is the Pali word. Pali is the language spoken around the time of the Buddha. So chitta, the heart, mind, is what's sensitive, right? So clearly... We're sensitive. And that's actually a really good definition. Like somebody asks, what are you or who are you? You know, well, I'm this sensitive something or other, right? I sense things. I feel things. I know things. So that's what the heart and mind is. It's this, it's the uh, sensitivity itself, the knowing itself, the feeling itself. Not what's being felt, or what's being seen, or what's being known, but that place, that's not a good word, but for lack of a better word, that place where knowing, sensing, feeling happens. Or another way, when we are suffering, or when we're happy, where's that place that we know that? Well, it's the mind or the heart that knows that we're happy or that we're unhappy. 
You can't put your finger on it exactly, which is okay, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, the heart or mind. And the heart and mind, in a way, is different than the activity of the mind or the activity of the heart. So I try, and I'm not always uh, 100% with this, but I try to distinguish the mind and heart from the activity of the mind. So the activity of the mind is like a thought, the movement of a thought through the mind, or the movement of an emotion through the heart and mind. Those are things that are being felt, are being seen, are being known, but not the sensitivity itself. Okay? And one of the things that the mind or the heart is sensitive to is the body. Seeing. The body sees, the body hears, the body touches, the body smells and tastes. Good. Anything else? And in the future weeks, there will be plenty of time for your comments and questions. Um, but let's stand for a few minutes, stretch our legs out so you'll be comfortable, and we'll do a mindfulness of breathing practice. But as we stand, we'll just do a standing practice. So stretch out if you need to. The Buddha taught that we can practice mindfulness in any posture, right? So it's not about our formal meditation. Our formal meditation is essential because it makes it more likely to practice through the day. It's as if we're planting little mindfulness seeds that then sprout spontaneously in little moments or big moments during the day. So if we don't have that formal time, it's unlikely we'll have moments of being mindful during the day. And the more we have a formal sitting time every day, and the more integrity, the more the effort is just right in that formal time, then you just see different parts of your life, mindfulness being present. The mind is just, the mind is awake and relaxed in a continuous way. And you'll learn so much about everything. Mindfulness is what leads to learning. So just let's practice standing. Because we do this a lot, standing in lines. Some of you work while standing. It's nice to have the knees a little bent. And you don't have to hold your body perfectly still. It's okay if it drifts or shifts around a little. Belly soft. Feel the weight, that simple experience of contact. See if you can become intimate with that experience of pressure or contact. So clearly aware, so present that you don't need the concept or any image of your feet touching the floor, but just the actual experience of hardness or softness or pressure, warmth or coolness. present with the sensations of the whole body standing. And again, noticing how you don't need a concept or an image of the body to be aware of the actual sensations, the 
sensations of vibration or tingling, coolness, or whatever it is that is there in this elemental way. And just play with these two qualities I've been talking about. Interest or alertness on the one hand and ease and tranquility on the other hand. See if you can notice both of these qualities involved with the awareness of the body standing. Just now, even as we're moving and coming back to sitting position, just see if you can stay aware of the body, all the little and big movements as you come back. I'll talk more about posture next week, but tonight just find a sitting posture that will work for about 15 minutes and I'll introduce the mindfulness of breathing practice. Finding some balance between the intention to be comfortable in the sitting posture and a sense of being upright, the sense of sitting right in the middle of your experience. The eyes can be lightly closed or they can be open, gazing down toward the floor. Either way is okay. And it can be a nice ritual to do two, three, or four easy, deep breaths in and out. So take your time. As if you have all the time in the world to fill and then empty the lungs in a relaxed way. And doing it at least a couple times. And one more time, and really slow it down this time if you haven't yet. Filling and then emptying the lungs. And eventually letting the breath continue on its own. Just appreciating that the body knows how to breathe without the mind controlling it. Simply alert, aware of the body sitting, this great range of sensations of the body coming and going. 
And see if it's possible to more fully trust the sensations of the body. Now, even if the sensations aren't all pleasant, can it be okay that sitting is like this now? In other words, is it safe to relax? Is it safe to be sensitive to these sensations of sitting? To be open? And right here in the awareness of the body sitting, find the movement of the breath. However subtle the breath might be, see if you can notice the sensations of the breath coming in and going out. And you might feel the breath best by paying attention to the nostrils. Or for some it's easier to feel the movement as the rising and falling of the abdominal wall or the expansion and contraction of the chest. Breathing in, aware of the breath coming in, the sensations. Breathing out, aware of the sensations of the breath going out. And this is a particular training. So relax, maybe even an inner smile. Be willing to begin again and again whenever the mind wanders. Happy to be letting go of the world and just to know the actual sensations of the breath coming in and the breath going out. It's okay to begin again if the mind wavers or wanders a bit. If a big distraction arises and the mind gets drawn away, then as soon as you notice that, just acknowledge, oh, thinking, I was just thinking, being known. Then feel the body, feel the breath in the body and begin again.
interested in a continuity of mindful awareness using the simple experience of the breath coming in, going out. Not forgetting that it's like this now. Breathing in is like this now. Breathing out is like this. Can this be okay? Remember that calm arises naturally when there is a continuity of mindful awareness which keeps the mind from engaging in activities that are agitating. So knowing the breath or knowing more generally the body as the breath comes in, knowing the experience of the breath and body as you exhale, And doing this in a relaxed but wholehearted way leads the mind into states of calm, peacefulness. And to do this, the mind needs to be alert, interested, tracking the actual sensations of the breath coming in, the actual sensations of the breath going out. Some people find it useful to actually use a mental phrase. It can be quite simple, like the phrase breathing in, repeated as you breathe in, and breathing out is repeated as you breathe out. Or if you're trying to develop more tranquility, You can repeat the words calm with the in-breath, ease with the out-breath for a while.
remember, it's quite skillful to acknowledge distraction when it arises. So you don't need to judge, don't need to be harsh, but just acknowledge, oh, this is thinking, this, the mind is thinking it's like this. Or if there's pain in the body, and the mind is reacting to the pain, then just acknowledge that. Oh, pain in the knee is like this. Not liking the pain in the knee is like this. So this is how we turn distractions into just the next thing that the mind is aware of. By acknowledging, oh, this is what's being known. The mind is knowing the pain in the knee. Or the mind is aware of not liking the pain in the knee. Acknowledging distractions in this way is very grounding and allows for the continuity of mindful awareness. More calm, more alertness, more balance and insight. So just for another minute or two, having a friendly relationship with the breath. Ready, open the eyes. Feel free to stretch out your body. I have a couple of um, announcements I need to make before we end, but it's probably time for one comment from somebody or maybe two comments. What did you experience? What was that like? What did you learn about calm and alertness in this 15-minute or so practice that we just did? Anything? Yeah. How, how was it difficult? Yeah. 
So the, the important question then is, how should we, what would be the skillful way to relate to the wandering mind? Because in everything, it's like, uh, it's really no different than if there were some, you know, Harleys going down the road, right? So we may not be in control of whether motorcycles are going to be going up and down 27th Avenue, but we can have something to say about how I'm going to relate to that. Same thing with the wandering of thoughts, the movement of thought. So we may not be able to shut that off because that habit has been set in motion. There's a lot of momentum to thinking. So if you expect there not to be any thinking in your practice, you will be sorely disappointed. The question is, what we can learn is, how best to relate to the proliferating mind, the thinking mind? What is the? And we'll learn both ways. Sometimes we'll just sort of get on board and see how that works. Well, that doesn't work. Hating the thinking mind doesn't work. But there are ways that do work. And basically it has to do with simply and clearly acknowledging, oh, it's the thinking mind. It's the mind thinking. It's like this now. Well, can that be okay? Because it's that way already. It doesn't mean we want the mind to be thinking, but it is thinking. So in a sense, awareness, wisdom and awareness, it creates space for things to be the way they are because it's insane to be in denial with the way things are. There's already the mind thinking. So let's acknowledge that. Let's make space for that. Okay. Without getting identified and swept away by the thoughts, without getting afraid or averse to the thoughts, just acknowledging them. There are thoughts. There is thinking. It's like this. And then, if you can, come back to the main anchor, the mindfulness of breathing. If you can't, then stay aware as best you can of the tendency to think and drop underneath the thought, the content, to like what's going on in the heart that's triggering the thinking, maybe some unpleasant emotion. Notice that emotion and then tune into the unpleasantness of it, if you can. Because that, if you really turn toward the unpleasantness in the heart, then you won't need the thoughts. Because the thoughts were, in a sense, a way of masking the unpleasant feeling. So if you're willing to open to the unpleasant feeling, you don't need this endless proliferation. If you're lonely, you could spend a lot of time fantasizing, or you could simply feel the unpleasantness of loneliness. It's actually much more satisfying and insightful to turn and relax and open to the unpleasantness of loneliness than is to think about why am I lonely, what can I do about my loneliness, and all the other sort of not helpful ways that we tend to spin around the unpleasant moments in our lives. And we'll talk a lot more about this when we come back. A couple things though. One, you can see it's a rather big group. There's another entrance on the south side of the building. It's always unlocked when we have a program. It will take you right, that entrance takes you right into the basement. And there's lots of space for coats and shoes down there. And then you come up the stairwell. And then it's a lot easier to leave. You won't have to go through that crowded front entranceway. So especially those of you who don't mind stairs, come in that south entrance and it makes it uh, a little easier for people who need to use the front entrance. It's just less crowded. 
Second thing, this is actually relatively important, come next Tuesday afternoon, even if you felt, oh, this makes a lot of sense, I'd like to dig into this, you'll have all kinds of reasons not to come back next Tuesday. So, don't be surprised by all those very clever ideas of what you should be doing. You know, we could have put off something for years, but now I need to do it. There's a lot of mental resistance to learning mindfulness. In a funny way, it's a little threatening to our sense of self. It's like, I don't really want to see what's behind the curtain. You know, I'd just rather be oblivious to it. So, don't be surprised by resistance. Really give yourself six weeks. Practice as best you can every day. Come back for six weeks. See if it makes sense for you to cultivate in your life. Um, There are, I think, eight or so handouts, but instead of uh, printing them all out for everybody, which isn't so easy to do, I thought I'd just put it on the web. So to find the handouts for the course, you go to kamagawameditation.org, and when you look at the home page, you see programs, one of the top menu items. You click on programs, you look under classes, you see introduction to mindfulness meditation. In the blurb describing this course is a link to all the handouts. And you can just print them up or just read them on the computer. And it explains how Common Ground run, uh, runs, so it will talk to you about donations. Some of you might wonder, like, how does this place happen? And you think, they're going to trick me. Well, later we'll ask you to join the cult. No, sorry. (laughs) No, but it explains how the donation system works at the center. So you can take a look at that handout. And also basic instructions are there, instructions about walking, meditation, instructions about how to weave in loving kindness into your meditation practice, and many other uh, sort of tidbits that I'll probably cover, but the handouts will give you some notes to refer back to. Also, Caleb's here, one of our leaders, and he's recording this series of talks, so we'll get those up on the website as well. So also on the home page, you'll see the, the main menu item for audio talks, I think it's called. If you click that, all the talks at the center are just listed in chronological order, so you can see intro week one, intro week two, things like that. And you'll get the guided meditations there and, and also any instructions that I give if you want to refer back or listen to those at home. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.